Well, hello, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I'm Nurse Mo. As always, really excited to be here with you studying for nursing school or just studying for on the job. So today is episode 220, and we're heading over into maternal newborn land with an episode about oligohydramnios. Now, before we dive into that very interesting topic, I want to take a quick minute for the listener shout out. And this one goes to Asley, who says, Nurse Mo, thank you for being such a light. Your compassion and concern for the future of nursing, patient care, and education are truly admirable. I started listening to your podcast this summer prior to beginning nursing school, and I just finished my first quarter with a 3.9 GPA. Even though I don't fully understand all the concepts being discussed, I'm appreciative of the fact that I'm being exposed to these topics early on. Listening to your podcast before starting my classes has made me more confident and helped me set a more positive mindset. I invested in the Nursing School Thrive Guide and your planner, both of which have helped me stay organized and on track. Thank you for everything you do. I, for one, am so appreciative of the time you dedicate to making the world a better place. Oh my goodness, this one got me right in the feel bone. So Asley, thank you so much for taking the time to write that thoughtful review. And I hope I'm saying your name right. It's possible an H got missed. This might be Ashley. I'm not 100% sure, but you know who you are because I'm sure you recognize your words. So thank you again. And I'm just so always happy to read your messages, your reviews, and your feedback. It really does make my day. So we are diving into oligohydramnios, and I have to make a confession. I had to listen about 10 times to my favorite little tool online, which is basically a little tool for how to pronounce things. And oftentimes the words that I'm saying on the podcast, I have to go look them up. So oligohydramnios, I really am going to try to get that right every time. So the term oligohydramnios literally means scant amniotic fluid. And it's diagnosed when ultrasound reveals an amniotic fluid index, or AFI, of less than five centimeters. For reference, the normal value for AFI is five to 25 centimeters. So let's first talk about what amniotic fluid is. So amniotic fluid is a complex fluid that nourishes and cushions that developing fetus while also helping to regulate temperature and aid in pulmonary maturation, digestive maturation, and renal maturation as well. It's initially made up of maternal plasma that has diffused across the placenta, but over time will change to include urine and other secretions from the fetus. Amniotic fluid contains proteins, carbohydrates, lipids, antimicrobial peptides, hormones, electrolytes, and other substances necessary for fetal development. So as you can see, amniotic fluid is really, really important. So what causes oligohydramnios or the state of having too little amniotic fluid? So there are quite a few precipitating factors that can lead to oligohydramnios. Now, some of the key ones are premature rupture of membranes. This is the most common cause. Preeclampsia. Okay, this is a word I'm not gonna be able to say. Uteroplacental insufficiency. Hope I said that right. Medications such as ACE inhibitors, 
NSAIDs, and lithium. That sounds like a good test question. Medications such as ACE inhibitors, NSAIDs, and lithium. Post-term pregnancy, fetal growth restriction, fetal abnormalities, including renal conditions such as a blocked urinary tract or absence of one or both kidneys. Because remember, over time, that amniotic fluid develops to basically be composed of fetal urine. So if the fetus isn't making enough urine, there's going to be low levels of amniotic fluid. Maternal dehydration, hypovolemia. Another one is maternal and or fetal hypoxia. This leads to decreased fetal renal perfusion, which is going to decrease urine output of the fetus. And anyone considered high risk would be at risk for oligohydramnios. This would be age under 17 or over 35. I'm telling you, 35 does not seem that old, but apparently that's, what is that called? Advanced maternal age. History of renal disease or diabetes. Multiparity previous high-risk pregnancies, or a family history of genetic conditions that could affect renal development. So now that we kind of understand where this might occur and what types of patients this might occur in, what are the complications of oligohydramnios? So the complications will vary depending on when it first started. If the pregnant individual had low levels of amniotic fluid during that first or second trimester, the complications can be especially devastating. These include preterm labor, intrauterine growth restriction, or IUGR, and even death to the fetus. If oligohydramnios occurs in the third trimester, in general, it has less of an impact. Okay, but that's a very general statement. Don't take that as gospel, but in general, it has less of an impact. But definitely can still be detrimental, which is why it's absolutely vital that the mother be monitored very closely. Complications can include umbilical cord compression, meconium aspiration, and placental insufficiency. If you'd like to learn more about meconium aspiration syndrome, make sure you check out episode 212. And if you need a refresher or are interested in learning about placenta abnormalities, check out episode 92. I'll include links to both in the episode notes. So now that you have a basic understanding of oligohydramnios, let's go through it in detail using the straight-A nursing latte method. Ready? Okay, let's start with the letter L. How does the patient look? What are the signs and symptoms? What do they complain of? What do you notice about them? So much of the time, the pregnant individual may not have any outward signs of oligohydramnios, but there are some things that could be noticeable. The fundal height may be small for gestational age. The patient may state they are leaking urine when in fact this is really amniotic fluid. The patient may complain of painful fetal movement, which is due to that lack of cushioning that you normally have when there's adequate amounts of amniotic fluid present. And if the cause is maternal dehydration or hypovolemia, the patient would show signs of that. It would be tachycardia, possibly some hypotension. They may be really tired. They have excessive thirst or increased thirst, and be producing smaller than expected amounts of dark or amber-colored urine, just classic signs of dehydration or hypovolemia. So that's the L, how the patient looks. The next letter in the latte method is A, 
how do you assess someone with oligohydramnios? So you will want to get a full set of vital signs and pay very close attention to blood pressure and heart rate since preeclampsia can be related to oligohydramnios and hypovolemia. They can both be precipitating factors. Ask the patient, are you experiencing any pain or discomfort with fetal movement? Measure the patient's weight. If less than expected, it could be because they have not enough amniotic fluid. Measure fundal height. If it's smaller than the gestational age, it could be a sign of oligohydramnios. And you want to also get a thorough medical history, paying careful attention to any genetic conditions that could put the fetus at risk for developing a condition such as Potter syndrome, which includes significant fetal renal impairment and even absence of kidneys, or other conditions that lead to low amniotic fluids such as hypertension or diabetes. You would also want to ask the individual to perform a kick count. Ask them to lie still and count fetal movement. This can also be done at home. Doesn't necessarily have to be done at the in the hospital or at the clinic. A count of less than 10 in one hour could indicate reduced fetal movement and be a sign of oligohydramnios. What about the tests? What tests are often ordered for an individual who has oligohydramnios? So the gold standard for measuring the amniotic fluid is ultrasound, but note that ultrasound alone is not a perfect indicator of amniotic fluid levels as various pressures put on the transducer can affect the accuracy of the measurements, but over time, hopefully with repeat ultrasound measurements, you can get a good idea of the trend for the amniotic fluid. Now, some other tests include anatomy ultrasound. This is a specific ultrasound done at around 20 weeks gestation that also evaluates the fetus's major organs, namely the kidneys. A non-stress test, or NST, is a test that involves the mother wearing a monitor to assess fetal heart rate while at rest for a period of about 20 to 30 minutes. This could be longer if the mother has been involved in a trauma, is actively bleeding, or has experienced decreased fetal movement. A biophysical profile, or BPP, is a type of ultrasound that assesses several different things. It's going to look at breathing, amniotic fluid volume, fetal tone, which is episodes of extension and flexion, and body movement. A Doppler blood flow analysis can assess for fetal hypoxia, and a nitrazine paper test assesses fluid from the birth canal, and it looks at the pH of that fluid to determine if it is amniotic fluid or something else. If the paper is blue, it is most likely amniotic fluid. Nurse Mo here. Are you tired of sitting at your desk, studying for exams or the NCLEX? What would it feel like to get a bit of your life back so you could get up from your desk, go for a run, do things around the house, take care of errands, or even just take the dog out for a walk? Bet you can't because you need to study. Or can you? With Study Sesh, you will use auditory formats to the max to accelerate your learning, free yourself from your desk, and get your life back. 
Study Sesh is more than just a podcast. It's a form of highly effective auditory learning that is so much more than listening. Study Sesh involves thinking, analyzing, and even responding. This keeps your brain highly engaged in a way that doesn't involve reading or staring at a screen. Stephanie says, the audio flashcards are a total game changer. I am hooked. And Amy says, it forces me to use my recall of information and critical thinking without the option of choosing from four answers. The drills are brilliant, again, forcing me to fully understand the information. And Kara says, I thought I loved the regular Straight A Nursing podcast, but Study Sesh is on a whole other level. Combined, they provide excellent study material, and I feel like I've struck audiovisual learning gold. Study Sesh includes over 100 study sessions in four formats. Most are the highly popular pod quizzes, and the others are in case study format, power hours, and drills. Plus, more in-depth topics come with study guides. Want to free yourself from your desk while you study for exams or the NCLEX? Enroll in Study Sesh today. Go to straightanursingstudent.com forward slash study dash sesh to learn more. That's straightanursingstudent.com forward slash study dash sesh. I can't wait to be your study buddy. So let's move on to the letter T. What treatments will be provided? So the least invasive treatment is to encourage maternal hydration by encouraging PO intake or the mother may need IV fluids to correct dehydration and hypovolemia. If further intervention is needed, treatments include amnioinfusion. This may be utilized to relieve cord compression. In this procedure, 0.9% sodium chloride or what we call normal saline or lactated ringer solution is infused into the amniotic cavity and can be done transcervically or transabdominally. Induction of labor may be necessary, either naturally or by cesarean, so the mother could be induced, have a natural vaginal birth, or be induced and have a cesarean section. In cases of Potter syndrome where no kidneys are present, the family may need grief counseling as the child will not survive consider requesting a spiritual care or social work consult. And then the final letter in the latte method is E. How do you educate the patient and the family? A key education point for your patient with oligohydramnios is the importance of adequate hydration. According to the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, ACOG, most pregnant women should take in between 64 to 96 ounces of water each day. Other key teachings include if your patient's taking an ACE inhibitor or other culprit medication and plans to become pregnant or is currently pregnant, they definitely need to be instructed to discuss their medication options with the prescribing physician. Teach the patient how to perform kick counts and monitor that fetal movement. Teach the importance of definitely not smoking during pregnancy since smoking can cause decreased fetal blood flow and lead to hypoxia. And remember that hypoxia leads to reduced fetal renal blood flow and oligohydramnios. You also want to teach the patient they are at higher risk for preterm delivery and make sure they know when to seek medical care. 
Okay, so that was your brief overview of oligohydramnios. Now let's go back and do a little bit of quizzing to verify your understanding. So if you like this form of review, then you should check out Study Sesh, which is my members-only podcast where I do a lot of these pod quizzes, as well as case studies, power hour sessions for really key concepts and drills. So I will put the link to that in the episode notes, or you can go to straightanursingstudent.com forward slash study dash sesh. So how this works is I will ask a question, pause to give you time to answer, and then tell you the answer. Ready? Let's get started. What is the normal reference range value for amniotic fluid index? 5 to 25 centimeters. What are the three medications mentioned that can lead to oligohydramnios? Those are ACE inhibitors, NSAIDs, and lithium. What specific fetal abnormality was mentioned that can lead to oligohydramnios? That would be fetal abnormalities about renal development and renal functionality, such as a blocked urinary tract or even having no kidneys or just one kidney. When looking at someone with oligohydramnios, what would you expect of the fundal height? Usually, it's going to be small for gestational age. What are some signs of hypovolemia and dehydration? Tachycardia is a big one. Hypotension, especially if the hypovolemia is significant. Thirst and fatigue. Along with that, the individual may be producing small amounts of amber-colored urine. When the individual is performing a kick count, what number is indicative of reduced fetal movement? How many counts in one hour would indicate reduced fetal movement? That is a count of less than 10 in one hour. What is the gold standard test for measuring amniotic fluid? That is ultrasound. What type of ultrasound is very specific and is done around 20 weeks gestation? That is an anatomy ultrasound. What is the test where the mother wears a monitor for 20 to 30 minutes while at rest?
That's a non-stress test. Very, very good. What types of things does the biophysical profile assess? And there are quite a few, so just name as many as you can. So the biophysical profile is going to be an ultrasound that looks at breathing, amniotic fluid volume, fetal tone, and body movement. What is meant by fetal tone? Those are episodes of extension and flexion. And then when you're looking at the nitrazine paper test, what is that measuring? It measures pH. And if the paper is blue, what does this usually mean? It usually means that the fluid you're testing is amniotic fluid. What is that least invasive treatment for oligohydramnios? That is to provide fluids or encourage maternal fluid intake to correct dehydration and hypovolemia. What is the procedure where normal saline or lactated ringers is infused into the amniotic cavity? What is that called? That is an amnio infusion. And when is it most likely to be used? Most likely, it's used to relieve cord compression. And last question, true or false, your patient with oligohydramnios is at higher risk for preterm delivery. That is true. Excellent, excellent work. So if you found this helpful, this active recall where you're not just restricted to choosing from four correct answers where you really have to think through the information, then I want you to check out Study Sash. It will be so, so helpful for you. And what I love the most about Study Sash is that basically it frees you from your desk a little bit so that you don't have to spend all your time sitting, staring at a screen, staring at a book. You can spend some of your study time away from your desk, doing other things, maybe going for a walk. You know, I'm a big fan of getting outside and going for a walk, taking the dog out, even just running errands. You can listen to study sesh while you do your grocery shopping and your meal prep. So I want you to check that out, straightanursingstudent.com forward slash study dash sesh. So if you are subscribed or following this podcast, then next Thursday, you will automatically get an episode about bipolar disorder. So that's a benefit of being a subscriber and follower of the podcast. So if you aren't yet, make sure you do that. So I will see you back here next week for that. And then another great reason to follow the podcast or subscribe is because we've got a lot of bonus episodes coming up. So we'll be putting up episodes multiple 
multiple times a week for the next couple of weeks, maybe like the next two or three weeks. And I want to make sure that you get all of them. So when you follow or subscribe, they automatically show up for you. So I will see you next week. We'll be talking about bipolar disorder. I will see you then. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. Hey, I'm not perfect. Now, before we dive into that exciting topic, let's... Well, I wouldn't say it's exciting. Potter syndrome, which is a renal dis, renal disorder. Oligohebdramnios. Wait, that's not how you say it. What number is indicative? In, indicative. Indicative.